Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Burley Fisher's Isolation Station. I am your returning host, Dan Fuller, joined today by So Mayer. How are you doing, So? I feel like I should be saying welcome back to you. We've all oh, been yeah. on the isolation station, and you have been elsewhere mysteriously AWOL <laughs> are you gonna fill us in or are we gonna have to invent things I mean I I, I I mean the the reality of it is that my computer was broken that's not a very interesting story for our listeners so instead the party line is going to be that I was involved in some kind of covert covid related issue now I can't say any more than that uh, Come on! It... I mean, what happens in isolation station stays in isolation station. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I could tell you, all, but I'd, I'd have to kill you. And like that, there's a uh, literally hundreds of people listening to this program, or, or dozens, dozens at the least. <laughs> Do tweet us and say hi. Say hi on Insta. Drop us an email on podcast at burningfisherbooks dot com. Yeah. Um, yeah with your rants and your speculations about Dan's covert COVID adventures. Yeah. And if you have any computer fixing advice as well, that is gratefully appreciated. <laughs> I'm really getting to the point of just don't use it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a, like a bonfire of the vanities, but with technology. Yeah. Like I mean, everyone sort of has speculated for so long about like the singularity, which I, you know, obviously think, started happening as soon as there were machines we've been living on the machines time and for the machines ever since yeah. but who knew that it was going to be a global pandemic that would actually cause what most people think of as the singularity which is our complete dependence <laughs> on these sodding things I, I say recording with you on discord <laughs> via my phone full of conflict minerals <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's on that cheerful though. I think we should introduce our, <laughs> our guest for the day. Who who are you speaking to today, so? Well, you know, on the positive side of like transnational connectivity and what is enabled by yeah. a radically democratized technology, I was speaking to someone in Berlin, yes, uh, Katie Darwisher, who is not just a translator but a hero of translation. Mm -hmm one of the inspirations for the Warwick Prize for Women in Translation, which has mm -hmm. revolutionised um, the UK's translation scene, and now also a publisher herself, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. based in Berlin, publishing new German books translated into English. And that's part of what we're talking about mm -hmm. on the podcast, along with what it was like being a reader and book buyer in Berlin during lockdown in Germany, of course, bookstores and publishers were supported by the government yeah. um, to ensure they could keep going. <laughs> Just in case one of our hundred listeners is <laughs> a person of influence, as opposed to just a book lover. <laughs> and Katie is herself a podcast host and producer of the wonderful Dead Ladies show, which presents stories of radicals and revolutionaries who just happened to be women. And while they haven't been as active as Isolation Station during lockdown, they have put up four episodes, uh, starting with the amazing Alexandra Kolontai, who oh, is yes. one of my personal heroes, and I think probably one of yours as well. Yeah, Dad. indeed. <laughs> uh, Marxist revolutionary, diplomat, writer, rabble rouser, extraordinary theorist, 
Mm -hmm. whose work we should perhaps read more than some of those dudes. (laughs) Also, the perhaps less well-known but exciting-sounding Rose Mm Mackenberg, who was a ghostbuster and psychic debunker. Oh, wow. After World War One, teamed up with Houdini to crusade against fraud and psychic swindlers, which is a TV show I would totally watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, episode 33 saw them talking about one of my faves, the detective novelist Dorothy L. Sayers, uh-huh. um, who, well, what can you say about Dorothy L. Sayers? She uh, translated the Divine Comedy for fun and she created not just the detective lord peter whimsy but also the detective novelist harriet vane which is so meta so she like basically invented postmodernism and she also wrote plays anyway learn more about her and then finally one who is new to me uh willa muir a prolific translator who brought kafka into english for the first time from a small scottish isle um, she had a better known husband called Edwin, who I think was a poet who stole all her credit. So credit to Katie and the Dead Lady Show for bringing these extraordinary women back into our consciousness. Yeah, big up. Yeah, and it was great to talk to her. We, I mean, we talked during lockdown, like in the depths. Yeah, so there's there's some stuff that's slightly, <laughs> slightly outdated. Yeah, uh... we should probably, content warning may give you traumatic flashbacks. <laughs> for those of you who have left lockdown, for those of you who are still in lockdown going what the fuck is actually going on <laughs> it will it will feel deeply comforting in a weird sort of stockholm syndrome way yeah indeed well let's pass over to so and katie and let the show roll on Welcome back to Burley Fisher's Isolation Station. And I am here and there in the here, there and everywhere of the internet today with Katie Derbyshire, literary translator extraordinaire. Welcome to Isolation Station, Katie. Thank you so. Where are you right now in actuality? I am on my sofa in my living room in Berlin, in the middle of town where I would not usually be working. Right. Are you more of a, a library person or do you have an office? No, I have an office. I um, worked from home uh, with a small child for, for about two or three years. It's drove me crazy and I've had an office for the past 15 years. So I'm not happy about working from home. And you are also meant to be in London when all this <laughs> started, weren't you? You were the the literary translator of the London Book Fair, which I presume is a very busy job as well as a great honour as you run around translating everything at the London (laughs) Book Fair. (laughs) Um, Yes. Tears of laughter. (laughs) It's just, it's a... Congratulations. Yes. Do we call it an appointment or a disappointment at this point? disappointment I think yeah I mean it's a lovely um, uh, notion that I would be running around translating everything I would have been however in conversation with uh, the comedian Chappy Kosandi at the book fair and it would have been really great and I would have actually as usual at book fairs have just been running around hanging out with other translators really but having a good time yeah were there some projects that you were hoping to shout out 
to the audience there what are you working on or what we meant to be working on right now <laughs> oh I'm still working on the project I mean the big thing is that I'm setting up a well I have set up an imprint with a German publisher where we're going to bring uh, what we're calling remarkable writing from Germany to the UK and Ireland starting in September so there are three books that are hanging around on my computer in various stages of editing and translating and proofreading and typesetting which I would have typically been telling everybody about yeah can you so this is V&Q books right not to be confused with B&Q no, um, but, you know, we're quite good with our hands. I yes. have to work on that slogan. <laughs> um, can you tell us a bit about the books? I think you've translated one of them, is that right? And the other two? two. You've translated two of them? Yeah, cheeky. Uh, I'll be winding down the translation <laughs> a little bit because, it, you know, before we started, I've, I've had more time. And I think... Uh, in the future I won't be doing as much translating but yeah no I translated two because I loved them both and one of them is translated by my colleague Sinead Crow. The book she's translated is, is called Daughters and it's like a bookseller's favourite big bestseller here uh, about these two women who, who just kind of turned 40 they both have difficult dads uh, and they end up um, going on a, a, a kind of a road trip around Europe something that sounds unimaginable right now <laughs> god yes i hadn't thought of that yes i want to read yes. that book a thousand times yes yes they get in the car and drive and they end up in greece it's not like summer holiday with cliff richard though <laughs> which also ends up yes also ends up in greece i believe and what's the name of the author the author is a lovely lucy fricker which so is that's... uh f-r-i-c-k-e Daughters by Lucy Yeah. And what about the ones that you have been delving into? I've been translating an autofictional novel by Sandra Hoffman, which is called Paula. And that's about another family. Gosh, oh, I keep noticing these themes emerging. Anyway, this one is also about a family relationship between the, the author and her grandmother, who was... was deliberately silent her entire life about who was the mother of her child her daughter the author's mother wow um and and what that did to the to the author herself and to the family and she kind of imagines and tries to research who her grandfather might have been but i'll just spoiler it now and say she doesn't find out but she finds out about herself along the way right and the second one, oh, if you want to ask another question first. No, no, I, I was waiting with bated breath for more <laughs> revelations. And So the third book that I'm translating is, is by Francis Nienick, who's actually, um, that's a pseudonym. He's just an anonymous guy who doesn't want to do any appearances ever. <gasps> and it's another so got... journey. <laughs> <laughs> we've got an unknown father, an anonymous writer. Yes. Oh, very mysterious. Yes. Well, this this one's another journey, which ties back in the, with the daughters. It's called Journey Through a Tragic Comic Century, The Absurd Life of Hasso Grabner. And it's a, a very, very uh, narrative biography of this guy, Hasso Grabner, who was a communist in, in 20s Leipzig and was in the concentration camp and got sent to the front in Crete and became then a, a in East Germany became a sort of a, 
a sort of a businessman, sort of a manager on quite a large scale. He was setting up and running major factories and then pissed everybody off and uh, became a poet. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> but cool. it's, uh, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's um, a strange book and I really enjoy translating it. I don't translate a huge amount of nonfiction because I love the challenge of finding the right words in, in fiction and, and wordplay. And this book has all of that, all of that wordplay and alliteration and, and jokes and, you know, very silly. And yet just a, a very sort of undiscovered chapter of German history or several chapters, in fact, yeah. It sounds like that's something else that, in a way, links the book is uncovering aspects of German history or contemporary German culture that perhaps people outside of Germany don't know that well or don't associate um, with with Germany. I mean, obviously, in the UK, we're our mainstream media tends to give us a fairly limited impression of all other countries. But <laughs> I'm wondering if that was part of the idea with starting VNQ as well was to show just the complexity and variety of what German culture and history are. Very much so, yes. It has been a source of constant frustration for me for the last decade at least. Especially when, as a translator, you're pitching German books to publishers and obviously they don't take many of them because it's an expensive and risky business. And, And then you see the books that do make it across the language barrier and they, they, they do tend to humour the, the British obsession with the, with the Nazi era, mm. which is not wrong, but there are different takes we could be having a look at. And you've been participating in that, not least with translating Clemens Meyer, who Ooh. is, I think, a German author who's found something of a, an audience, a keen audience in the UK. Um, I think you met some of that audience at Burley Fisher when we were, in fact, a bricks and mortar bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> including several copies of bricks and mortar. Yes. <laughs> um, so... What, what's it like when you get to do that? You know, translation is in some way a very intense conversation with, a, with an author, with a publisher, with a language. And then when you get to meet the people who you've been mediating the, the book mm. to. Yeah, that, it's unusual because, of course, it's, it's a, a very solitary occupation, translating. But first of all, it's unusual because the, the dialogue of, of translation tends to be the, the text speaking to me and me answering. Mm-hmm. So I get to then ask questions of, of the writer, see what I mean, which we, we did at Burley Fisher. It was lovely. We had a, a very fun, actually, I thought, conversation, <laughs> uh, the two of us. And also to, to hear what interests readers about writers and translators' work, because, you know, you become a, what's the word in English? We have a German word for this, which is a specialist idiot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, in, in, in Brexit, England, we just call them experts. <laughs> and, and, um, and yes, you become a specialist idiot. And, uh, you know, you're concerned in your working life with, um, I don't know, maybe as a bookseller, you'll be concerned with, oh, what's the ISBN here? And, oh, what's the format of this book? Is it B format? Or blah, blah, blah. Um, and as a translator, you get that same 
sort of, oh, oh, what about the comma splices and the tense variation here? And actually, (laughs) probably readers aren't all that interested in that. And and so it's interesting to to hear how they read things and how they read it differently to me and how they're interested in in my work. What do you think are some of the most common myths about translation whether it's sort of the process of translation or the the place of translation within publishing what are some of the things that you come up against and you'd like to dispel or bust other than of course that women can neither write or translate which is <laughs> dispelling and busting uh with your own work and with the warwick prize which we can talk about in a minute but Ooh. aside from that giant uh giant Mythnoma. Um, what else have you come up against? I think something that took me a while to realise is that just as as writers have strengths, particular strengths, and um, maybe say Hilary Mantel, I don't know how to pronounce her surname, is is known for her very strong historical writing. Translators are, have kind of areas or genres that they're particularly good at and so I don't think we I don't think there's like a supreme translator who is the best choice to do every single book by every mm. single writer you know that took me a long time to work that out because I I suppose I was questioning my own ability or or, or rudely questioning other people's uh, abilities um <laughs> uh, to work out okay what well, I most enjoying and put, um, and I hope best that is is um something where I have to get the voice right you know I, I feel like that's quite remarkable unusual voices are what I'm most interested in translation I would say rather than what we would necessarily call beautiful writing although of course define beautiful writing but rather mm. than 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 getting the perfect sentence I think I'm better at getting an imperfect sentence which has to remain which was jagged or had a strange rhythm or had some kind of an accent uh and trying to put, bring that into english that's what i'm most interested in doing and i hope better at than some other things um does that make sense absolutely it definitely made me think about krista wolf as ah. a writer as someone who really pushed at the limits yes. of, of language and memory and was often interested in the fragmentary or yeah. exactly what you said the kind of imperfect sentence that opens up these kind of gaps and because you've tried and you've translated some of her work haven't you a tiny bit see after she died there were a lot of unfinished texts and, and, and i've translated three of those that were not necessarily intended for publication which is again is another mm. challenge because they've been quite lightly edited by her husband i believe do you want to then make this a kind of a smooth read? Mm. I didn't, um, but I didn't want to translate it like a like an artifact, you know, like a like a document where I have to, I don't know, somebody's graduation certificate or something where you mm. have to make sure everything is in the exact right spot on the page. So yeah, and she also, Kasavoyev, she also she's not one for neat sentences in the first place, you know. So it, it's a a balancing act which I enjoyed and I think that brings us perhaps to the Warwick Prize and um, I should uh, say full disclosure that Katie and I actually met Um, it's nearly a decade (gasps) (laughs) Um, 
in a discussion fired by our mutual concern with the underrepresentation both of um, women writers from around the world in languages other than English being translated into English and the underrepresentation of um, women as translators from both publishing lists and prize lists and while mm-hmm. this just let, led me to blow out a lot of hot air it led <laughs> Katie not only to translate uh, an expanding number of uh, German-speaking women writers and introduce them um, to anglophone audiences but also to set up the Warwick Prize and I'm gonna I'm gonna let you tell us about that and why it's awesome. Okay, but first I'm going to have to correct you very slightly about the barrage of hot air, because what you did so was to get us all in a room and to say, okay, what are we going to do about this after we'd spent several years going, well, this is no good, is it? Which prompted me and Rachel McNichol and Joanna Walsh to start looking around to wait for ways to, to set up that prize, which eventually became the Warwick Prize for Women in Transition, which is run, thank God, by Warwick University <laughs> <laughs> and uh, involves no input whatsoever from any any of the three of us and uh what's the question tell us about the prize tell us about the prize oh right good okay so um, it's currently open for submission or virtual submission at yeah the moment, is that right that's right you can tell them that you're going to send something just so they have an overview of of, of what the judge is going to be looking at and then submit the actual book a bit later on so that's this year's prize and do you sort of know how the pandemic and lockdown are going to affect that beyond the fact that print copies there's going to be some delay in the submission of print copies are there conversation or you know i'm asking this question i don't even know if you're part of those conversations yeah no not actually no because um i wanted to a have no extra work and be uh, be eligible to for my titles to be entered, so I have nothing to do with the administration of the prize. That's smart. What kind of effects are you seeing as a as an editor and as a translator? Have you had any books that were due to be published in the UK in the last six weeks? I haven't. We're still planning to publish our three titles in September. Right. What we've what the German publisher who who my who V&Q Books is an imprint of, they're called Vorland and Chris, has done though is that they've pushed back all of their autumn titles and then they're running what they call a, a second spring and encouraging uh, reviewers and critics and, and um, institutions, bookshops, bloggers to take another look at those books that came out in the spring, which sunk. <laughs> mm, mm. Um, and I think that's actually a wise decision it means that they have slightly less work to do under difficult conditions because obviously people are working at home with their children uh, and supposed to be um, schooling them at the same time and I think I think it's unrealistic to expect people on a, on a human level to to continue this you know the usual standard of productivity expected within publishing mm. so we'll see what happens with the prizes, I don't know. What I'm interested in is looking at virtual alternatives. So the um, the big spring book prize in Germany uh, would have been awarded at the Leipzig Book Fair, but that was cancelled. 
and it was a, you know it's quite a big deal and they did the award ceremony live on the radio which meant that actually anyone in the world could listen in mm. Mm. and it didn't have the same glamorous impact as you know when you're there standing in this big glass auditorium but then only 200 people fit into that glass auditorium mm-hmm. and i don't know what the the listening figures were so i was i think I'm I'm kind of watching with interest how things shift to to different formats, which can be quite exclusive, you know. Um, just been thinking about access to events that not everybody has, you know, if they don't live in the right towns or they don't have the same mobility or that kind of thing. How can can this strange situation make the, the the literary world a little bit more inclusive I'm not sure about the answer <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to hear about radio being part of the answer because there's been such a massive shift to the digital whether it's for homeschooling um or we at Burley Fisher had our first live streamed book launch on YouTube yeah. last week yeah. um, that was an experience let me tell you mm-hmm. uh, to hear about older tools of communication ones which in some ways are more accessible because of course not everyone has internet access or right. good enough in- internet access is is heartening to think that a radio station made a space for a cultural event like that that could bring listeners together yeah. at at this time that does seem like a a kind of positive solution that could be ongoing i mean certainly in the uk there's been such a loss of cultural programming from tv and radio schedules under the pressure of austerity that yeah there there is a moment here to talk about changes which could be sustained and sustainable um mm. even as we're terrified about the fate of independent bookstores and independent publishers is that are the same concerns present in germany or is there more state support or what kind of discussions are you hearing yeah state support has been very patchy so in merlin we've been very lucky that um freelancers have been able to apply but not in every uh, region has that been the case but i'm kind of fascinated that now actual politicians are talking about um, universal basic income, mm-hmm. which would be groundbreaking and so exciting if it actually happened. But I think early days, we'll see. Um, and is that at a national level or a, a yeah, federal that level? would yeah. be, yeah, which, I mean, imagine that. Imagine how much our lives would change if we had a basic income. I feel like I've simultaneously spent so much time imagining it and it's so unimaginable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anyway, so that's been a a kind of fascinating discussion. Um, uh, They've, um, Berlin is is run by a a quite left wing coalition. They decided that bookshops were essential so bookshops have been open in berlin although working differently 
So my bookshop that I go to said, can you just order it online <laughs> and we'll send it with the post? I was like, all right. Um, <laughs> but uh, but they, they, they've, um, been, they've been following the Barley Fisher Twitter and uh, just copying what we've done. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but other ones have kind of, kind of turned into sort of book takeaways where you, you call in ahead and you say, hello, I did it today. Actually, I said, have you got? The new book by Annette Kushner. She didn't recognise my voice on the phone. And, uh, well, no, I haven't got it in. I'll order it for her. I'm going to go and pick it up in great, you know, very exciting day out. Go to the bookshop, pick up my book. And do they bring it to the door and, and hand it to you? Or... I, yes, I believe yeah. so, yeah. I haven't done that because I've been following their advice to just let the postwoman bring it. But, yeah. Yeah, so the, so the, the book trade has also... Uh, and it hasn't been doing 100% well, but because mm. Amazon, Amazon stopped delivering books, which meant that bookshops themselves all of a sudden selling books directly to people again. Uh, uh... <laughs> Shocking. Not to I know. Me, but... Yes. And I also, I had a quick look. Um, people are re- buying a lot of ebooks and audiobooks. Journalists love audiobooks. And I looked at the bestsellers and they're... Um, there's one guy who's on the top four places with this uh, series of books about uh, communist kangaroo. Um, really very popular. Can we just backtrack to the <laughs> communist kangaroo? <laughs> because how have these not been translated into English? We, we would be the first in line for the tale right? of the communist kangaroo. Is this like Andre Karkov penguin? No, it's, uh, it's a little bit um, more... Down to earth, I would say. <laughs> but, but very funny. Um, yeah, so it's about this guy. It's a series of books about a guy who has a kangaroo flatmate who's a communist and he, he really likes Nirvana. And they get in these arguments and about life. It's very funny. I have a, I have a lot of friends who are really, really into it. I and yes, am... I think we are awaiting the uh, the lockdown <laughs> in the series. <laughs> Shit, yes. No, let's not. Yeah. And also the Netflix animated show, uh, preferably animated by Lisa Hanawalt uh, from Bojack Horseman and Tuka and Bertie. Yes. You heard well, it here first. Yes, that would be fun. There is, there is a, a graphic novel, at least one. Even Kangaroo better. Chronicles by Michael McLean. Great fun. Okay, English language publishers who are looking out for a project, you have one. Uh, we will take a small finder's fee, of course. Just email us, podcast.birdyfisherbooks.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, and kangaroo communist flatmates seem like a totally tangential and yet... I'm going to use that as a segue into our regular feature on Burley Fisher's Isolation Station. Uh, This is a a lockdown question Um, in response to the early days of lockdown in the UK when there was a severe panic over toilet paper. And my segue is that this panic began in Australia, kangaroo (laughs) lockdown anyway. So we all started thinking, what is going to be the first book that becomes our toilet paper book? When we are out of out of stock in desperation. What is it we're going to reach for on our bookshelves? Do I have I, to have it on my bookshelf? 
Well, a lot of people have gone for hypotheticals. Yeah, I've got a hypothetical. (laughs) (laughs) On the basis that, of course, we live in small places where we only have the books that we want to have. Yes. Shall I tell you mine? Yes. It's it's in German. It's um it's a book of poetry just published by the singer from Rammstein. <gasps> the ultimate <laughs> toilet paper book. <laughs> Although, yes. have you checked? It does not contain a curse to be made upon anyone who uses this book as toilet paper. Do you know? I do not know. I have not um, actually read it, but there's been a huge, massive controversy because it does include um, rape fantasies. So I'd be just, you know, I'd be very happy to make it make a more useful use of the guy from Ramstein's poetry book. I can hear the quotation marks around poetry sort of <laughs> dripping from the way that you pronounce that. <laughs> yes. Um, any English language publishers who want to translate that please do not get in touch with Burley Fisher Um, toilet paper supplies have stabilised in the UK (laughs) now I'm glad to hear it Yeah. do you have a sense of whether Germany is going to come out of lockdown before the UK does How, how confident do you feel about how things are being conducted there compared to what you hear from here (laughs) no no comment is accepted yeah I've been reading two papers I've been reading a British paper and a German paper and I read the German paper for just reassurance that everything is is going to be okay and then I look at the the British paper and think no shit oh god oh god my poor family um very very worried about about everybody there I I don't particularly want to to sing hymns of praise to the German government but um, certainly the response has been more measured let's say I don't know when lockdown will end I'm really hoping it's gonna be soon and because I, I'm a very very sociable person I love hanging out and I love, particularly like watching live music and I just don't know if I'm going to be able to before the end of the year so that's Mm. daunting yeah well we were super looking forward to seeing you at the London Book Fair (laughs) and so it's been a real treat to be able to have this conversation I hope that you and Shafi Khosandi do get to um, renew that plan at some point as well because we are we are missing live book events as well as live music events Um, and that at some point, we'll be able to continue this conversation with our Burley Fisher community on site. Oh, that'd be great. It would be great, wouldn't it? But thank you so much for joining us across the North Sea. And <laughs> we're hoping that, um, well, we're looking forward to having the V&Q books on our shelves. So thank yeah. you for everything, Katie. Thank you. Well, thanks for a lovely chat. Well, thank you so much, So, and thank you so much, Katie. That was an awesome podcast, and it was really great to see, like, a little window into the translation scene in Germany and kind of the kind of contours of literature as it's happening now in Germany, and slightly more off-kilter things, because I, I, I actually read an article in The Guardian this morning recommending, like, the great German literature books, and I think something like 75% of them were set in 
Nazi Germany. <laughs> um, so, and yeah. also they failed to mention the translators of yeah. most of them. Yeah. Um, particularly the ones that were translated by women. So shout out to Jen Kaleja for flagging that up on yeah. Twitter and all the work that Jen and Katie and so many others are doing to make sure that uh, translators, the work of translators is recognised. Indeed, indeed. They're kind of like the silent heroes of uh, international literature, I think, really. Yeah, I we hosted Katie at Burley Fisher with one of the writers that she translated, oh, yeah, Meyer, yeah. and it really is such a collaborative mm-hmm. um, activity. And translators do so much to ensure that not the just the books are translated, but the context, who the author is, the author's biography, the way that the book sits in its yeah. Um, yeah. literature of origin. It's an act of such generosity. Mm. So yeah, great to talk to her. Yeah, shout out. So now, who do we have coming up uh, at some point? <laughs> <laughs> not, we, not a translator, someone who definitely has a way with words. I'm yeah. always questioning them. We have Ellie Williams, yeah. whose first novel, The Liar's Dictionary, is published round about now. And we have signed copies available at the shop. You can order them from our fabulous new website which appeared in dan's absence yeah um not from his computer (laughs) (laughs) um yeah sam and i will be having a chat with ellie about writing that book about dictionaries about what even is language so that is one to really look forward to yeah so is there anything else am i forgetting anything i don't think so i think buy books Buy books, always buy, buy books, books. Buy books in translation. And Mention buy books the from us. Yep. Buy books from us. <laughs> <laughs> Don't buy them from anyone else. Um, and if you do have to buy them from someone else, make sure it's an independent shop. Uh, I think that's our message for the day. I mean, that's always our message for the day. That's but, always uh, our message. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And um, do you wear a mask? Yeah, wear, wear a mask. Wear a mask. Support retail workers. All right. Big up, everyone. Take care of yourselves. Have a good one. Peace.